Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. From the broadcast to the podcast, it is your man DM Cool. And this is Cool Radio. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. Pop up at our blind spot, hand on my Uwego. We invading airwaves. Oh, you didn't know? Your ass better call somebody! Yes, yes, y'all. Tell a friend to tell a friend. The pod is now up. We are live on whatever system you are using to listen to your podcast. It is your man, DM Cool, and this is another edition of Cool Radio. And we got quite a bit to get to on today's agenda, ladies and gentlemen. Let me tell you, um, we have to talk about Floyd Mayweather versus Jake Paul. This is actually going to be a thing. I I thought we were just trolling, but no, this is actually going to be a thing. Um, On top of that... We also have J. Cole announcing the title of his new album, as well as dropping a little bit of a sneak peek of his album as well. So we'll get into that. And uh, Boozy Badass, a.k.a. Lil Boozy. I still call him Lil Boozy, but whatever. Boozy Badass now, apparently. Uh, He had quite a few comments to make with regards to plastic surgery culture within hip-hop. So we're going to dive into that and have a bit of a discussion about that. And, of course, we have Wankster of the Week. This one's actually pretty funny, so uh, we'll definitely get in on that. But before I get to all that I want to get to, including the mic check topic of the week, you guys already know I got some stuff to get off my chest, as I always do for all y'all. So on that note, it is time to let that ish breathe. Let this bitch breathe. All right, all right, let's get to it now. Let's get to it. So what I want to open up the show with today is I was watching a show on Netflix called Yasuke. Now, I don't think I've mentioned this show on Cool Radio before, but Yasuke is an anime series that was produced by, or one of the producers, I should say, is Lakeith Stanfield, who also plays the uh, lead voice of the titular character. So, for those of you who do not know, Yasuke is actually a real-life figure. Uh, So, pretty much what he is known for, I only knew about him for like the last two, maybe three years, is that he is the first ever African-born samurai uh, during the 16th century, I believe. And for me, I was like, oh, this is actually a thing? I had no idea. So... For the last couple of years now, I've been pretty hyped because there's supposed to be two projects that were supposed to be released. One is the one from Lakeith Stanfield, which is the anime series. And the other is supposed to be a live action film that was supposed to have uh, been starred by Chadwick Boseman. And unfortunately, he's no longer with us. With that said, I really hope that they still continue on with this project um, because I think that would be pretty cool to see as far as black biopics are concerned we've usually seen the ones that are uh portrayed by the figures that we already know and love so whether it's martin luther king malcolm x harriet tubman like we've seen we've seen quite a bit already and they usually have to deal with you know the civil rights movement and what have you which are very important stories to tell but there are so many stories to tell uh, when we're talking about black figures and it's not just the black american figures that we that 
we should only put our focus on. Let's keep our focus on the rest of the diaspora. Um, it would be cool to see a movie about Mansa Musa or a movie about Kwame Nkrumah, for example. But if we can get a movie about Yasuke, the first ever African-born samurai, listen, take all of my money. Take it all. Have that written by like Tanahisi Coates or something like that. Like, just take it all, please. But, anyways, I digress. So, going back to the anime now, upon coming into the anime and seeing a couple of the trailers that they that they put up on YouTube, I'm thinking it's gonna be an animated uh biographical tale about about his life as a samurai and what have you. But what they did, and mind you, no spoilers, there, there are no spoilers in this um little review that I'm about to do. What they ended up doing was they did a fictional take on his life after his daimyo's reign came to an end. So a daimyo is basically like um, a master of a region uh, within Japan during the feudal era. And his daimyo was named uh, Oda Nobunaga. And he's the one who, I, I wouldn't say discovered him, so to speak, but he noticed him as he was about to be traded by a slave owner. Surprise, surprise. And notice how he was physically built differently than everyone else. He was like over six feet tall. He was a bit more muscular. Um, and he saw a lot of potential in him as a warrior. So he decided to have him trained under the ways of the samurai and basically made him a part of his court. So that's the actual, you know, real life telling of Yasuke. And basically what this series does is they tell the story of what happened to him after his rain came to a to an abrupt end and i'm talking about his daimyo so during this time they get into a whole bunch of fictional stuff that you would typically see in an anime so you have mech suits you have um you have sorcery sorcery and black magic uh you have of course martial art, martial arts action and what have you you have a whole bunch of those things in between. So like, if you're big on anime or if you've watched more than a few anime in your time, you're going to see a lot of those common tropes that you, will, that you would see in an anime. And there's nothing wrong with that. I was just taken aback by it because I was assuming because it's based on a real life figure that they're going to go into um, his backstory. And to a certain extent, they do go into his backstory as far as him having to prove himself as a non-Japanese, as a non-Asian uh, warrior in that sense. Uh, but they definitely go into the fictional route and they dive headfirst into it as well. And they basically have their depiction on what happened to him after his daimyo uh, was killed. So overall, it's about six episodes, six episodes long um, and what six episodes and a half hour each, a half hour per episode. You can get through it in one sitting. It'll be like a three-hour movie for you. It'd be like watching Avengers Endgame in that regard. Um, I did it in two settings, so hour and a half each. Did it on a Thursday and a Friday night. And I gotta say, I was I was pleased with it. I was impressed with it. Um, I did like it. I love the fact that we had a black figure that was front and center in an anime because I do feel like black culture and anime often intertwine, and I'll get into that a little bit later on. Um, but I thought it was cool the way that they presented him. They almost presented him as like a, re a reluctant hero of sorts. Uh, they kind of portrayed him as somebody who wanted to move away from the, the his past life as a samurai. And mind you, again, that's not spoiler when I say that. Uh, but yeah, he wanted to move away from his past life. And like every time he tried to, there's always something or someone that brought him back in. And it eventually led him into becoming 
I guess you could say the hero that he was meant to be. So you had you had those tropes working for you as well. I would say the only setback of the series was that there's another character in this series that almost gets as much attention as he does as as a main character. And for me, you know, I signed up to watch Yasuke, not Yasuke and this person. And when you see when you eventually watch the show, you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. So I felt like that character maybe advertently or inadvertently took a little bit of his shine, but not enough that it would make me think to myself, okay, well, this show's not about him at all. So it wasn't to that extent. I think for me, that was just a, a bit of a nitpick, um, but nonetheless, they still have enough of the focus on him that you know that it's about him and that everyone, everyone else is around him. One of my favorite aspects about the show um, is the visuals. The visuals are amazing. And like, I expect high quality visuals in an anime, but these visuals, they, they just, they, they sit with you. And I think it's a combination of the visuals with the score of the show, which is my next, uh, plus of the show as well. The score, the, the soundtrack is amazing. Um, it's done primarily by Flying Lotus, who is primarily a hip-hop and electronic artist. Um, very eclectic from what I've listened to. I've always heard the name Flying Lotus, but I never really took the time to research his work. But then after watching the series, I went into Apple Music, looked up his stuff, and I was like, wow, this guy's this guy's got some bangers on him. Um, so yeah, if, you, if you're into an eclectic mix that has a bit of a hip-hop element uh, and influence into it, as well as uh, somebody who's into like lo-fi hip-hop or anything like that, I would definitely say give him give him a um, give him a listen. It gives me vibes of like in terms of the score that they did specifically for this show. It gives me vibes of uh, New Jabez, who's who was the lead producer, music producer for a series called Samurai Champloo. So I would definitely give um, give Flying Lotus a listen. I also listened to the soundtrack as a whole. They released that on Apple Music. I've been listening to that for the entire week. The theme song, which is entitled uh, Black Gold, it features uh, Thundercat. Love it. Absolutely love it. Um, but yeah, I like the show. I, I, I definitely like the show a lot. I give it a high recommendation for anyone who's into anime, anyone who's into just general animation, and then also anyone who's just looking for something different, a little bit that's a little bit something that's outside the box. Um, I thought Lakeith Stanfield did a, did a great job of the lead role as Yasuke. Um, I can't remember if there's anyone else in there that I, that I recognize by name. But other than that, I loved it. I thought it was good. Um, I'll definitely be giving it another watch. And I hope, I mean, I would assume that they're going to make a season two. Um, it probably won't come out until like at least a year from now. I mean, at the very least. I mean, we'd be lucky if that were the case. But overall, it's a good watch. And I think it's a step in the right direction for what we're seeing in anime going forward because there's always been this correlation between at the very least a subsection of black culture and anime and anime within black culture hasn't always been popular i would say if anything this decade or this past decade that we were just in we're now starting to see um we're now starting to see the emergence of people who are who are not only fans of anime like within hip-hop culture specifically but also the acceptance of it, like people who are actually proud to be a fan of anime. And I always thought it was like this underground thing within black culture that you would have to 
ask somebody if they were a fan of it. Because if you just open, openly outright said you you as a black person are a fan of anime, then you get called whitewashed, and which I never understood because anime is not even white; it's 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 Asian, <laughs> you know. So how's that? How's that a whitewashed thing, right? So. It's not even white people saying that you're whitewashed. There would be some black people who would say that you're 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 whitewashed for liking anime, which I never understood. I was even upfront about my love for anime until I got into college. Like, if you knew who I was, then yeah, you knew I was into anime or whatever. But like to know to kind of go outside beyond my borders, so to speak, and and just find other people who were into anime. I'm just like like other black people specifically. Like, I'd be like, hold on. Wait, you watch anime too? He's like, yeah. I mean, doesn't everyone? I'm like, yeah, but like, I've never met black people outside of like maybe like my sister or a couple of relatives or a couple of close friends who are into anime as well. It's like, nah, man, we bought that lifestyle. We bought that life. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like finding like people who are like, it's like, yes, I found you. Yes, let us rejoice. But no, nah, it, it, it's great though. It's great. I mean, I would say, you know, as far as hip hop goes, like the first people that you you might think of when it comes to anime is maybe the Wu Tang Clan, because like they're just fan of like they're just fans of like comic book culture and what have you. And speaking of Wu Tang Clan, like you have the RZA who uh, did production for Afro Samurai, who was a lead black character in the anime. Probably the first time I've seen a lead black character in an anime at that capacity. Other than that, I had the Boondocks, which is more like a satirical take on black culture that happened to use uh, anime style animation and had a few anime tropes here and there. Um, other than that, you had those two, you had Samurai Champloo, which there were no black characters in there at all, but they used hip hop heavily to, to accentuate the tone and the feel of the show as a whole, especially when it came to the soundtrack. And that show is a cult classic, uh, by and large, you know, the very definition of one. It only had one season that launched way back in 2004, but still to this day, People will rewatch episode after episode. They'll quote from it. They'll say how much of an importance it was into um, the influence of anime within, you know, within black spaces. And then you have another anime like Cowboy Bebop that used like a lot of jazz uh, and, and doo-wop music in there as well to basically accentuate the tone that they're going for as well. So there's definitely a lot of there's definitely quite a few anime out there that have. Uh, their finger on the pulse when it comes to black culture in terms of the sounds and the textures that they want to use. And when they do draw black characters, they actually do it properly. Because as much as I love anime, there are some anime out there that do not draw black people properly. In fact, they draw them like minstrel shows, which I'm not cool with. Cough, cough, Dragon Ball Z, just saying. Um, (laughs) So there's definitely, you know, some improvements have been made over the years. And what I do love is that there are actual anime studios that were created by black people that are stationed in Japan right now, which is amazing. And then you also have Idris Elba and his wife, who are actually going to be creating a black-led anime series that's going to be on Crunchyroll. So I think that is amazing. So we're seeing progress. And like I'm loving the fact that we're seeing more black people out there who are taking ownership of their nerdom when it comes to anime and just Anything else in general, like comic books, whatever the case may be, um, I would have loved to have been in this era as a teenager. This this would have been a blessing for me. Um, but you know what? It's cool. It's cool. I'm a grown ass man. I can still say I love anime at the end of the day, and that's cool. And I hope there are other black people out there who are 
are more forthcoming about their love for for the art form and anything you know in the nerd space as well. So shouts to those black people out there, and just shouts to anyone in general who wants to you know embrace their inner nerd. But yeah, overall, going back to Yasuke, great show, recommend it, go watch it. All right, so let's get into our mic check segment of the day, all right, or of the week, I should say. The mic check segment of the week is about Black Superman. Now, I say Black Superman because news has been reported that the new Superman, I guess, reboot from Warner Brothers will involve a black Superman. And at first, you know, most people were thinking this black Superman is going to be from the comics, from the parallel universe of Clark Kent. Um, So I can't remember the names of the, of the characters that played the black Superman. I think one of them was named Calvin and the other was named Val Zod. Please correct me if I'm wrong on that. And many people thought that this was going to be a Batman or sorry, a Superman that was adjacent to the current run right now. That's being led by uh, Henry Cavill, uh, Henry Cavill. However, it was reported that the new black Superman will actually be Clark Kent or Cal L. Yes. So they're going to make black or sorry, they're going to make Cal L, a.k.a. Clark Kent, black. So we're just going to do away a race swap altogether. So news of this came out and when it did come out, the actor who currently plays Superman, um, Henry Cavill, he blocked and unfollowed Warner Brothers and any DC related projects from Warner Brothers. So that lets you know how he's feeling about the entire situation. Now, how I feel about it is this. I don't care for a black Superman. Whether you're, quote unquote, blackwashing uh, Clark Kent, or if you're going to be using the black Superman from a separate continuity, I don't care for Superman. I really don't. And the reason why I don't care for Superman is because I think he's the most overrated superhero of all time. I'm sure there will be some people who will disagree with me on that. And they'll state how important he is to the comic book industry. And I'm not saying he's not important to the comic book industry. He's very important. Like, he's arguably, if not the most iconic superhero figure of all time. But that doesn't change the fact that I'm not a, that I'm not a fan of him. I just think that he's very generic as far as his personality goes. He's very bland. He's very vanilla. Um, his list of abilities is overpowered. It makes him overpowered. I mean, you can fly, you can run, you can breathe out cold air, you can shoot out laser beams from your eyes, you can you can run fast, like faster than the Flash. Like it, it almost it almost comes to the point where the Flash's running ability is pointless <laughs> to a certain extent, but he does have the Flash Force that allows him to travel through time. So cool. Um, what else? Uh, the super strength, of course. Like he has damn near every super power that you can think of and if he gets weakened then all he needs to do is to fly into the sun that way he can recharge himself and his only weakness is kryptonite like you can't accept you can't expect me to feel some sort of sympathy or empathy for a character that seemingly has it all that's why i never got into superman even when i was a kid and i watched the 
Superman cartoon from like the mid nineties. I I was like, I didn't hate it. I was just like, yeah, it's okay. It's cool. I know he's from the same house as Batman, but Batman's way better. <laughs> um, I watched the live action series with Dean Kane back in the day. Didn't really think much of it. Um, the old school movies with Christopher Reeves. I understand how important they are to the lexicon of pop culture and superhero film culture as well, but again, not my thing. And they're especially outdated if you're to watch them today as far as the effects go. Um, what else? Smallville I never got into. The Superman movie from 2006 I didn't even bother watching. Man of Steel I've seen it. Nah. Um, and then Justice League. Don't even, get me, don't even get me started on Justice League. Even if we're talking about the Snyder Cut. Snyder Cut is cool, but... I think people are overhyping it a little too much. It definitely provided a lot of context as to what was missing from the theatrical cut that was released by Joss Whedon. Um, definitely a better film, but it's not like an all-time great or anything like that. But overall, I'm not a fan of Superman. Just I'm just not. Like The only time I'll watch Superman willingly is if I'm watching one of those DC animated movies with the rest of the Justice League. Then I'll watch it. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm watching it because of Batman. I'm watching it because of Green Lantern. I'm not here for Superman. Overall, not a Superman fan. Now, with regards to making Clark Kent black, this is lazy. This is lazy Hollywood diversity tactics 101. For decades now, at least from a film perspective, film and television, we have recognized Superman, Clark Kent, Cal L as, albeit of an alien species, resembling the appearance of a white cisgendered male. That is the fact of the situation. That is the reality of the situation. And I'm sure there are going to be some people say, well, you know, he's an alien, so it doesn't really matter what race he is. Yes, it does. Because if this was 1939 and they made him a black man or they made him an Asian man or any man that wasn't white, Superman would not be the iconic figure that he is today. It's the fact that he was created to appear as a white man that helped so many issues of his comic sell. That's the reality of the situation. We're talking about 1939. We are far from, from being progressive in North America. I think we're still in the era of Jim Crow at this point, and we're nowhere near the civil rights movement or the women's suffrage movement or anything like that. Like people who weren't white males weren't even allowed to vote at this time. So there's no way that you can use the excuse of, well, he's an alien, so he can be any race. No, he is. He has been identifiable as having the appearance of a white cisgender male for what? Like 80, 90 years? Well, not 90. Well, no. No, 80 years, 80 years, roughly 80 years now. You can't just race swap him just because we're in this era where everything is diverse and what have you. Like, listen, there's a way of doing diversity, Okay. So take this into context, and I know people are going to roll their eyes when I, when I say this, but it's true. But when we got Black Panther, that was an example of diversity done right. You had a black leading actor who played the role of an original, keyword, an original black male superhero. Black Panther wasn't a white guy at first, or or an Asian guy at first, and then race swapped him to a black guy. No. When he was created in 1968, he was originally a black man from a fictional African nation called Wakanda. We know this by now. 
This is why it worked. That was one of the reasons why it worked. Another reason why it worked was because you had a majority black ensemble of a cast. And not one person was like the other. Everyone had different ideas, thoughts, views, opinions, and personalities. That's why it worked. That's another reason why it worked. And thirdly, when they did talk about black issues that were that related to the African diaspora, whether that be continental Africa or within black America, these messages were not heavy handed. They were not hand fisted. They were not forced or preached onto you. They were delivered in a way where you got the reality of the situation that they were in. It related to the plot of the movie and it spoke volumes as to what was happening with the film and how it related to real real world issues when it, when it, when it involves racism when it fo- when it involves nationalism when it involves a separate separation between Africans and African Americans it talked about all that stuff without having to preach onto you heavily that is how you do diversity within film and television what Warner Brothers is doing by getting a black man to play the role of a character that has that has had the appearance of a white man for several decades now is pandering. You are pandering. You are basically trying to jump on the diversity bandwagon and saying to all of your all of your viewers or all of your audience members to say, hey guys, look, we're diverse too. We're a part of the fight. We're gonna give you guys a black Superman. And not only that, but he's going to be the new Clark Kent. Harambe! No. 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 That is not how you do diversity. That is how you do pandering. And nobody wants to be pandered to. If you really want to speak volumes... At the very least, what you could have done was do a story on the black Superman or on one of the black Supermen, which was Kelvin something and Vel Zod, and do a side movie series adjacent to the current continuity. You could have done that. And, you know, there could have been mixed reactions at that point, but I feel like a lot of people would have been like, all right, fine. Like, well... I guess we'll take it, maybe. But if you really want to speak volumes, what you could have done, instead of race swapping Clark Kent, arguably the most iconic superhero of all time, what you could have done was taken one of your DC characters, hero or villain, who happens to be black, and make a movie about him or her. You could have done a movie about Green Lantern Jon Stewart, who was the first black superhero under DC. You could have done one about him. You could have done a movie about the Bronze Tiger. You could have done a movie about Bumblebee, who is also one of the first black female superheroes under DC. You could have done a movie about Black Manta. Mind you, he was already featured in Aquaman, in the Aquaman film with Jason Momoa. But you could have done one about him, possibly. You could have done a movie about Deadshot. Now, Deadshot's a, a more of a race-swapped character. 
I know Will Smith played him in Suicide Squad. I think Idris Elba is going to play him in the Suicide Squad. Um, but that's that's a toss up. That's a toss up. I'm just throwing that name out there. You could have done a movie about Black Lightning. Mind you, he has a TV series out right now. That one is. Ugh. I was I was with them in the first season, but after the second season, it got into that pandering territory. But whatever. You could have done a movie about him. You could have done well. Actually, they are doing a movie about this particular character, um, Static Shock. He deserves a movie. I think his cartoon from the early 2000s was heavily underrated, heavily, heavily underrated. Like you can make the argument that he was in terms of the character itself, not in terms of the popularity, but in terms of the character itself. He was their version of Spider-Man. I'm not even going to say black Spider-Man. He was just their version of Spider-Man altogether. But yeah. I say all that to say that you have a, at the very least, a handful of black characters to choose from, and you could have made a film about them. And I feel like Warner Brothers at this point in time is worrying about, you know, if we do a black character, then we got to choose one that's already well known or something like that. But again, look back to what Marvel Studios did with Black Panther. Black Panther was a was a not even relatively he was a largely unknown black superhero outside of the comic book community. If you were a casual fan, you didn't know who Black Panther was. I've been watching, I've been heavily, I've been heavily involved in the comic book world ever since I could remember. Me ever since I was like two years old when I first watched the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Okay, I didn't know about Black Panther until I was 22, 21, 22 around that time period, which is only a decade ago, if you think about it. And I'm someone who grew up on that comic book shit. Look at what they turned Black Panther into. If you could turn a a largely unknown character into one of the highest grossing films of all time, then with the proper resources and with the proper effort in mind, you could do the same for any black character that you have, as long as you build that black character up and show the utter importance of said black character. That's all you have to do. I'm not saying that it's going to be a lock to be one of the highest grossing films of all time, but the people will come out in droves to see who this character is and what they're about. And don't just sell it on, oh, we're going to be launching the first black character ever under the DC brand or whatever. Like, don't do, don't do a rollout like, like the Eternals where you're, you're propping up the first openly gay character or the first deaf character. Don't do that because, again, it screams out pandering. Just say you're going to roll out Static Shock and you're going to get this actor to play the role and these actors to play the side characters and this director to direct it and this writer to, to, to helm the script. Do that. Once you do that, then the chit chatter about first black this and first black that is going to come about, but not by you guys. It's going to come out by the media. It's going to come out by the fans. They're going to be doing all of that. That's what they do with Black Panther. You didn't hear Marvel talk about ad nauseum about the first black character this no the media did that the fans did that let them do that they can't control that they can answer questions about that but they're not the ones pumping out you know that that press release so i would ask warner brothers to do the same thing with regards to a black character or any other character of color for that matter that they're going to be rolling out but the issue with dc is that they are trying to play catch up with Marvel Studios. 
And the problem with that is the fact that when it comes to Warner Brothers, they rent out the characters that DC has in their catalog. But there is no actual DC studios. There's no studio that they have that would be the equivalent of Marvel. Like you have Kevin Feige, who is like the president of Marvel Studios. And then they take care of everything in-house. They show the, the final cut of the film to Disney. And this is like, okay, cool, release it. Because Disney, at the end of the day, is the one who's giving them the uh, the payola to make these films. Marvel pitches it to Disney, Disney and Disney says, okay, cool. We're going to give you $200 million to make this movie. Make us some money. Cool. Whereas Warner Brothers, they're playing a helicopter father or a helicopter mother and micromanaging the hell out of these movies to the point where whatever was shot originally doesn't even look anything remotely to what it was supposed to be once the final cut is out. This is why Justice League is one of the worst superhero movies ever made. This is why people were, were screaming out for, for the Snyder Cut. This is why, you know, Batman v Superman was so convoluted to, to so many people. Literally, the only good movie that DC has had under their shared universe was Wonder Woman 1. But then the second one, they just flopped on it completely. So DC really needs to do a better job of, or sorry, Warner Brothers, I should say, needs to do a better job of letting these creators, these directors and producers handling these DC projects. Or if they want, maybe they should invest money into creating a DC studios and having some of the more, more well-known people mm. within the DC comic book world to be at the helm of said studios. That way they can actually make the movies and shows that fans want to see because I'm not here to promote a DC versus Marvel war for the record. I prefer Marvel over DC, but I think there are some stories within DC and characters within DC that are pretty friggin' awesome. And that they should be deserve proper treatment. Like, I always wanted to see Deathstroke as the main villain in a Batman film. But all we always get is Joker and, and, and just Joker. It's Joker and then somebody else, you know? So, going back to this super, uh, black Superman, I'm just not with it. I'm not with it because I, don't, I generally don't care for Superman. And I don't care for the fact that you're going to race swap Clark Kent for a black guy. That does nothing for me, nothing at all. I would much rather you take the resources that you already have and put those resources behind an already existing black superhero, not named Superman. Even if you're talking about the ultimate Superman who are black, don't really care for that either. I would much rather, because the Superman brand is already well known. Like You don't have to be a comic book fan to know who Superman is. You could have never touched a comic book a day in your life, and you'll already know who Superman is. You'll already know what that logo represents. I would much rather see, if we're talking about DC here, I would much rather see a movie about a black superhero that the, the, that the rest of the world outside of the comic book space doesn't know about. So I am glad that they're going to give us that Static Shock movie. I hope they don't you know tamper with it. But yeah, give us that. Give us Green, Green Lantern Jon Stewart. Give us Bronze Tiger, give us Bumblebee, and give us any other black superhero that you have under your belt that the rest of the world does not know about. That's what we want to see. We don't care for a black Clark Kent. We care for a black superhero that has yet to get the spotlight that they deserve. That's all we want. But hey, 
I could be completely off on that. Maybe there are some people out there who want a black Clark Kent. Clark Kent, pardon me. Are you one of those people? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Either way, I would love to know what you guys are thinking about that. Hit me up on my socials and let me know. All right, so let's get to Trip Talk now. Three of the hottest topics that took place within hip-hop and pop culture. Let's get to it. So, a video surfaced uh, between a verbal confrontation, if you will, between one of the greatest boxers of all time, Floyd Mayweather, and YouTube sensation, Jake Paul. So, for a few weeks now, there have been rumors spreading that Jake Paul and Floyd Mayweather are going to fight on pay-per-view via Triller. And I'm thinking to myself, Mayweather's not going to do this. Like, he's too good of a boxer to bring himself out of retirement for this. But then again, Floyd Mayweather is all about money. He's all about spectacle. He knows what sells. And he knows that Jake Paul is going to sell because so many people hate him. And so many people want to see his downfall on live television or on any platform for that matter. So, of course, he would entertain this. And... I didn't know up until yesterday that this was actually going to be a thing going forward. So they had their confrontation and all I saw was like cell phone camera footage and they were yelling in each other's faces back and forth. And then (laughs) Jake Paul steals the hat off of Floyd Mayweather's head and tries to run away with it. And then, you know, people get caught in between. I think one of Floyd Mayweather's bodyguards grabs him and there's like a, I don't even want to say a scuffle, but like, Maybe like a skirmish of sorts, like people were just crowding up, trying to break everything apart and what have you. That was about it. It, it was a it was a fracas, if you will. Overall, this is all entertainment. Like this is all WWE stuff. Like this is it's all entertainment. Floyd knows what he's doing. Like, of course, Floyd is gonna win. Like, nobody in their right mind thinks that Floyd Mayweather is going to lose. He's not. Like, that would be an embarrassment on his boxing record. Like, he's what, 40 and 0? 50 and 0? I don't like, basically, he's never lost a match in his professional boxing career. And if his first L comes to a YouTube sensation, that is going to be the biggest blemish on any boxer's career in their history. I don't care about Mike Tyson biting the ear of Evander Holyfield. That, like, that will pale in comparison because at least with Mike Tyson, he lost to an actual boxer. Jake Paul, at best, is an amateur boxer. And with a lot of these fights that have been happening recently, you know, Jake Paul versus versus uh, Nate Robinson and 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 all these other fights in between, I feel like boxing has now become a circus spectacle of sorts. You know, wrestling for the longest time, professional wrestling was seen as a circus spectacle. You know, you had you used to literally see wrestlers perform at an actual circus. And then with the blow up of World Wrestling Entertainment or World Wrestling Federation back in the 80s, it became a spectacle. WrestleMania was a spectacle where you would have celebrities wanting to participate in actual matches where you would have celebrities like uh, uh, celebrity musicians sing the national anthem for these events. Um, Hell, this year when we had WrestleMania, Bad Bunny uh, was a contestant in WrestleMania, him and a wrestler by the name of Damian Priest. Uh, participated in a match against uh, The Miz and John Morrison and obviously Bad Bunny won but he used that to promote a tour that he's going to be doing next year and hey to his credit he actually did pretty well 
uh, in that match that he was in. I was actually pretty impressed for all things considered. But this is nothing new for, for wrestling, at least. Now, with boxing, on the other hand, boxing, and mind you, like you had its, you had its spectacle and circus moments within boxing because boxing has been around since like the 1800s. But for the longest time, boxing was seen as a serious sport. And in the 80s, you could argue that the 80s was probably the, the most entertaining era of boxing ever, especially within the heavyweight division, even going into the 90s as well. But nowadays, because, you know, boxing is not as popular, nowhere near as popular as where it used to be. Now it's being reduced to, again, a circus spectacle. And don't get me wrong. You have talented boxers out there right now, like like Canelo Alvarez and, and what have you. But it's not getting the mainstream attention that it once used to get back in the 80s. Or sorry, like, way before the 80s. Like We're talking about like the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. In the 90s, I would say maybe up until the, the mid 2000s with uh, Roy, Roy Jones Jr., that was probably the last that we saw of its mainstream appeal. And I get it, Floyd Mayweather's career blew up around that time as well. And people were watching those fights, but people were watching just to see Floyd Mayweather, they wouldn't care for anyone else. At least back in the eras that I previously mentioned, especially during like the 70s 80s and 90s it wasn't just Mike Tyson it wasn't just Muhammad Ali like you had a plethora of boxers that people were wanting to see on pay-per-view on a regular basis but now fast forward to 2021 and it's just seen as a circus act of sorts which is a little disheartening especially if you are a boxing purist uh I wouldn't consider myself as such uh I'm someone who Thoroughly enjoyed it, watching it, you know, in the 90s as a kid. But nowadays, with all these YouTubers doing these celebrity boxing matches and what have you, they're becoming, you know, sadly enough, the casual viewers' faces of boxing. And I would be curious to know how a purist of the sport feels about that. But am I going to see this fight? I'm not going to go out of my way to see it. If I happen to know that it's on, then I might check it out. But that's pretty much where boxing is at from the mainstream standpoint. But what do you guys think about it? Are you going to watch this fight? Are you going to be thoroughly entertained and, and enjoy this? Let me know what your thoughts are. I'm very curious to know, and we'll see how this fight pans out. Now, let's talk about J. Cole. J. Cole announced this week that he will be releasing his latest studio album, which is entitled The Offseason. The album cover for it looks pretty dope. It's him standing um, in the nighttime, it looks like, on a basketball court, and there's a net, an entire net, not just the net, but the backboard, the stanchion, everything that's on fire. So we all know that J. Cole's a huge basketball fan. We all know that he used the, uh, I guess, the basketball trope or the basketball gimmick to kind of promote himself as an artist. He did it with, the the warm-up first, which was him standing in the snow with the ball in his hand and he had a hoodie on. One of probably are actually not even probably. I think that might actually be my favorite J. Cole album cover. Well, mixtape, but cover nonetheless. And then he had um the sideline story, which is him sitting in the locker room uh with the lockers in between, and then he had the ball in his hand or what have you, with his letterman jacket. And then before that, I should say I jumped ahead, my bad. Uh, before that, he had 
Friday Night Lights, which was him sitting on the basketball with his head down and in like a midnight bluish color. That that whole project is my favorite J. Cole project. Favorite one. Favorite mixtape. Um, it's not an album, obviously. So I'm not going to count it as an album. But project, if we're just talking about project altogether, my favorite J. Cole project. Easily. Not even close. He was in his bag in, on, on that project for sure. The freestyles that he did, uh, the original records that he had on on that on that album or on that mixtape, solid. But yeah, it seems like he's going back to his basketball roots on that um, on on this latest project, and he released uh, a track called Interlude, which I don't know might be the intro record to the entire album. It may just be an interlude in the middle of the album, but either way, it was solid. He came out with a hunger. Uh, the production sounded pretty good on there as well. Um, I guess my only thing for this album, well, I'm definitely going to be listening to it for sure, but my only thing that I'm going to be looking out for is the production because my biggest critique on J. Cole has been the production. I thought once we got, um, what was it called, Um, 2014 Forest Hills Drive, I thought that once we got that, he was in his bag with the production. I thought once we had that, that he was was only going to take off from there as far as production is concerned. But then he crashed back down with For Your Eyes Only, which in my opinion is his worst produced album ever. I tried to give that album multiple listens and it felt like a chore. I I, I wasn't down with it. I'm sorry. I like J. Cole, but that album was not it for me. Content-wise, I'll never worry about J. Cole when it comes to content and lyrical ability. I already know I'm going to get that from him. It's the sound of the album that I'm more concerned with. And my critique on J. Cole is that if you would just reach out to other producers who have an idea of what a sound is like and they can just add a little more musicality to it, then we would probably be discussing as to whether or not this album or that album from J. Cole is a classic. Because as far as I'm concerned, he hasn't released a classic album yet. He's had some good albums, some solid ones, but he's never had a classic album yet. 2014 Forest Hills Drive is his closest to his closest to a classic, but it's not a classic. I feel like if we had just if we had gotten some solid production from Ninth Wonder or No ID or anyone that has a solid take on his production style, but just wants to clean it up a little bit, revamp it, add some more musicality to it rather than just have it sound like basic production that we would be talking about this guy has a classic album or a debatable classic at the very least. And keep in mind, I know the hardcore J. Cole stands are probably like muting this right now. They're probably cutting off the pod right now. I'd be like, no, you don't understand. It's not about the beats. It's about what he's saying. You just don't get it. You don't understand. Calm down. Calm down. Relax. No one is saying that J. Cole has to have Mike Will made it or DJ Mustard on, on a beat. No. We're not talking about bangers or anything. like. That. We're, not, we're not talking about that. I'm talking about having a production style that matches the vocals, that matches the tone, and matches the message of what he's saying, and gives it more of, more of a, a complete symphony, if, if you will. And by symphony, I'm talking about the combination of the lyrics with the music, with the with the presentation, with with the with the delivery of said lyrics. I'm talking about all of that. All together, you you have a symphony. 
I think about an album like Flower Boy from Tyler, the Creator. In my opinion, there were no bangers on that album. But the production style that was chosen for that album, it blended extremely well with the vocals, with the subject matter, with the lyrics. It blended perfectly. And then and then the music, the music, the sound of the music spoke for itself as well. It told its own story in addition to the stories that Tyler was speaking on that album. I don't feel like J. Cole's beats for the most part do that. So what I really hope to see or hear from J. Cole on this latest project are beats that go beyond the realm of beats. I want music from J. Cole. I want musicality from J. Cole. I want whatever musical arrangements that he's going to be using for this album to tell just as much of the story as his actual lyrics do. Because as a lyricist, he's a genius. The man's he's great at what he does lyrically. Storytelling is one of the best rappers out there. Top three, in my opinion. Overall, a top three rapper of this last decade, of this current generation. Easy. His lyrical ability, I will never question. He's already proven himself. It's, it's the production style. I need to see solid production from, from, from J. Cole. I'm not saying that J. Cole himself has to turn into Kanye West when it comes to it. If you have to reach out to other producers, which is what I'm saying, then do that. Or collaborate with these producers. Go back and forth and talk about what you want to incorporate you know, w- within the records and, and collaborate together. I look at somebody like Big Crip, for example, who's in the same boat as J. Cole, who raps but also handles the bulk of the production. Big Crip as a producer is greater than J. Cole. No one can, de- can debate with me on that. Big Crit has found a way to match his production style with his lyrics and with his delivery overall. He's done it. Maybe the, the big criticism on, on Big Crit is that he's too reliant on samples. You could, you could say that. But overall, the beat sounds solid. There's never really been a time where I've listened to a, a Big Crit beat. I'm just like, yeah, doesn't do it for me. He may have one or two okay beats. But for the most part, his production style is on point. And I want to see the same thing from J. Cole because J. Cole has it in him to give us a solidly produced album. So that's all I'm hoping from J. Cole. Just, just give me that. Give me that. Give me solid beats. Not all the beats have to be 10 out of 10s. But give me something that I can just really appreciate from a musical standpoint. If you can give me that then for once, we may finally have J. Cole in the conversation of having a classic album. And, you know, some people may say it's unfair to have those expectations of J. Cole, but because of how talented J. Cole is as an artist, I think that's the main reason as to why we have those expectations of him. But what do you think? Am I going too hard on J. Cole? Is this what you're expecting from J. Cole as well? Either way, let me know, and I'm curious to know your thoughts on that. And final topic of Trip Talk. This one is uh, quite a bit of a controversial one, which I'm very curious to get into. Um, Boozy Badass, a.k.a. Lil Boozy, uh, takes shots at both men and women within hip-hop for the uh, plastic surgery industry. So he was having a conversation. Actually, no, it wasn't a conversation. It was actually over Twitter. It was via Twitter. And he put out his frustrations with regards to the plastic surgery in- industry 
and how it correlates to hip hop. So this is what he said in this tweet. And I quote, I'm tired of seeing this plastic surgery, shaking my head. Everybody, body parts look like the same titties, ass, hips, etc. Hashtag ladies, try not to change your faces so much. And men, motivate your... Oh my God. This is a little boozy saying this. And I quote, ladies, try not to change your faces so much. And men, motivate your bitch so she ain't feeling she missing anything. Hashtag I said it. Okay. The bitch part wasn't necessary. I think I think it's clear as day that the bitch part wasn't necessary. But everything else, I agree with. I agree with. Like, keep in mind, plastic surgery has been around for however many decades now, right? It's it's been a big part of the entertainment industry. We've seen it take take shape in, in that industry. We've seen it in the adult entertainment industry. We've seen that as well. And hip hop has been a part of that plastic surgery craze since the 2000s. I think the first person I identify um, with being in hip hop and taking plastic surgery is Lil' Kim. And since then, we've seen people like Azalea do this. We've seen Azalea Banks do this. Nicki Minaj, um, City Girls, Meg Thee Stallion, like Cardi B. And it's to the point where all these things have been synonymous with mainstream hip-hop culture. Synonymous. It's to the point where when we actually see a female rapper who doesn't have the fake butt, the fake breasts, the fake lips, and all that stuff, we're like, oh my gosh, she's natural. And we shouldn't see that as an anomaly. And the fact that we see that as an anomaly speaks a lot to the mainstream aspect of hip-hop culture. Again, I'm not blaming hip-hop for this. I'm not blaming hip-hop for this at all because plastic surgery has been around for generations, decades. But hip-hop's overconsumption of plastic surgery is a bit much at this point, to say the least. We see it in Basketball Wives. We see it in The Real Housewives of Insert City. We see it in Love and Hip Hop. We see it in so many aspects of it. And then going to the men, we like the men are always talking about, yo, I want a woman with big ass and big ass titties and big lips. And like, there are a lot of men out there, a lot of men within hip hop, like the rappers where we're talking about Migos, Future, or whomever, who over sensationalize those aspects, those hard to attain aspects of, of beauty, that it comes to the point where once they get those aspects, then it's just like, Okay, well, now it's too much. Well, which one is it? What do you want? And so I say all that to say this. Society in general, society in general, when it comes to the dynamics of men and women, men view women for their beauty and women view men for their finances. This as a large, as a whole, obviously there are going to be there are going to be people who differ from that and say, "Well, no, I view a man for this, I view a woman for that, and view them for less, uh, less what you might call it, um, less vain aspects." But generally speaking, the way society has has constructed our views of men and women, this is what they view one another for, and within hip hop, a woman will view a man for how much money they can bring to the table 
and how much they can finance their lives since they're since the men portray themselves as ballers and what have you. And then the man in return will view a woman for, well, how does your body look? You know, how good are you in the bedroom? Can you make it twerk like a stripper? Are you a stripper? I can take you out of here. It's almost like they view each other as transactions of sorts. So basically, a man in hip-hop, in the mainstream aspect of hip-hop, will go to a woman and say, if you get this work done on your body, or if you have this work done on your body, I will pay for whatever shopping trips you want to go on, whatever vacations you want to go on, just so I can have your body to myself. And then on the flip side, a woman, a woman who has those physical attributes will say to somebody in hip-hop, to a man in hip-hop, listen, you can have all of this if you spend that dough. So this is how men and women within the mainstream aspect of hip-hop are viewing each other. And what that's doing in real life is that it's setting these unrealistic expectations of as to how not only men and women view each other, but let's keep it 100 as to how black men and black women view each other. I, the amount of times that I've seen in real life, you know, what a woman, what a black woman expects from a man or from what a black man expects from a woman, it's, it's, it's no surprise as to why so many people are, are wanting to date outside their communities. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing to date outside your community. I think it's great as long as you want to date them for the right reason. Like if you want to date them based on their personality and where they're coming from and want to know more about their culture rather than just be like, oh, I got a foreign ting on my arm, then great. But all these expectations that black men and black women are, are, are asking from one another based on what they see within the mainstream aspects of hip hop, they're doing it to themselves. They're, they're, they're creating their own downfall based on these unrealistic expectations that neither side will be able to follow and follow through with. So all these images that are being presented within mainstream hip-hop, I could say that they need to stop, but they're not going to stop. Why? Because they're making money. So I would just say to people who are on the outside looking in, ignore these people. Like, ignore the images that you're seeing. Like, just because Nicki Minaj and Cardi B got, you know, fake breast and fake ass implants doesn't mean that you need to go out and do the same thing. And for the men, just because you see other men saying that this is the epitome of a woman, that that is all subjective because beauty in and of itself is subjective. Beauty is within the eye of the beholder. It's the most cliche thing to say, but it's a fact. Not everyone's going to have your taste. So I say at the end of the day, don't buy into these images. They're not realistic. They're not realistic at all. Do not buy into these images even for a second. There's so much I can say about this one topic, but I'm just going to leave it at that. I'll be curious to know what you guys think of this. Uh, so hit me up whenever you can on all my socials and we can have that discussion. But now it is time for the final topic. And you guys already know how we do when it comes to the final topic of Cool Radio. So with that said, <clears throat> who has entered the shallow walls of the Hall of Shame this week? Who has been crowned the captain of Coonery this week? Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Wankster of the Week. And this week's Wankster of the Week goes to a recording artist by the name 
of Chad Focus. So Chad Focus is getting the Wankster of the Week because he has just recently received a 30-month prison sentence for stealing $4 million from his former employer to fund his music career. Now, it is said that these purchases were made between 2015 and 2018, and they were made to finance his rap dreams, according to the Baltimore Sun. So because of this, he will now be facing the next 30 years in prison. So let me tell you about some of the exploits that this guy got up to, all right? So what he did with this money was create and post billboards all up on Times Square and Baltimore, making the claims that he was the quote-unquote number one recording artist in the world. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I never heard about this guy between 2015 and 2018. But that's neither here nor there. Not only that, but the promotion did help to a certain extent because he had a record entitled Dance With Me that basically uh, went on the Billboard dance charts and had millions of streams. However, however, those streams proved to be a mirage because of the fact that they were made with artificial Spotify streams that he bought in order to create the illusion that he was the number one or that he was one of the highest selling. He had one of the highest selling dance records on on the charts. Um, But on, on top of that, he also bought studio equipment, sound kits, instruments, and a ton of other music technology um, to basically fund his music career. He also blew a hundred grand on branding, basically. So he had the word focus branded on a whole bunch of merchandise, hats, t-shirts, and then he spent 125 grand on flights and tickets for his shows. So this is the type of thing that you really got to watch out for. I get that you're trying to create a name for yourself in the music industry. And don't get me wrong. A lot of artists have done a lot more nefarious things in order to get the studio time and to do what they need to do in order to get their career off the ground. A lot of rappers back in the day were pimps. A lot of rappers back in the day were drug dealers. A lot of rappers back in the day were gangsters who were the muscle for drug dealers so that they could use that money to get studio time or what have you. This is nothing new. But when you're talking about money that you're stealing from a company that you work for, that money trail is going to lead straight back to you because of the fact that you work for a corporation. And that corporation is going to be wondering where their money has been going towards. Keep in mind, that money is being tracked by finance teams that are employed by said company. And when they notice a variance or a deficit that is within the budget, it's all going to lead back to you. At least when we're talking about these nefarious individuals who did drug dealing or what have you, that's all street money that can eventually be traced later on if a major crime happens. But it's street money nonetheless. But this is actual taxed money and taxed money is often tracked. So this guy had to have known 
I would like to think that he had that he that he had to have known that this money trail was going to be tracked back to him. But sadly, he didn't think about the consequences. And now he's about to do two and a half years in prison because of his own stupidity. So for that, Chad lost his focus. And now he's going to be focusing on a four by four prison cell for the next two and a half years, passing along mixtapes and demos. Why? Because he is your wankster of the week. And that about does it for another edition of Cool Radio, ladies and gents. As always, want to thank y'all for tuning in. Um, make sure you go ahead and follow me on all or as many social media platforms as possible where you can find Cool Radio CC as the handle. Also, we're streaming on SoundCloud, uh, we're streaming on Spotify, and we're streaming on Google Podcasts. Give us a like, give us a rating, give us a subscribe. And we will be on Apple Apple Podcasts very shortly as well. Other than that, I want to thank you all for tuning in once again. And as always, Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media and Entertainment, reminding you each and every day that we are creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. Peace.